This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Now, let's get a cup of tea and spend a few minutes together. Here's your host, wife, mother of three, and entrepreneur, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Pain Show. Today, we are going to tackle a topic that has been requested by many people. And that is the topic of teaching our kids about finances and money. And we're going to share four strategies that we use to help our kids become more intentional and have really a stewardship mindset when it comes to finances. Because for those of you who know, my site is called moneysavymom.com. And so money and finances is something that is very, very important to us. So we're excited to get to share what we are doing with our kids, what we've learned from our parents, and what we hope to pass down to future generations. But before we talk about that, Jesse, what's saving your life this week? Well, this week we have actually started decorating for Christmas. This kind of follows after what we talked about last week on our podcast about uh, Christmas traditions and decorating this year. And so we did not have a tree. So I went out and got a tree this past week. And thankfully, Hobby Lobby had a 50% off sale, which was huge. So we were able to put the tree up last night and get our house in a festive decor. And for those of you who have been following along closely for the last few years, you know that we keep Christmas pretty minimal. We kind of covered that on last week's episode. But one of the things that we didn't talk about, I don't think, was that last year the kids decided that they didn't want to get a big Christmas tree. We'd had an artificial tree for the last few years, but Mm -hmm. artificial pre-lit trees are great (laughs) until they're not so great anymore because of putting them back in the box, pulling them out, putting them back in the box, multiple moves 
this tree had become sort of Charlie Brown-esque and it was not looking so great. Plus, every year, fewer and fewer lights would come on. Yeah, they had an electrical issue. So we finally decided two years ago that that was going to be our last Christmas with that tree. So we got rid of it. But then last year, the kids were like, yeah, we don't really want to get a tree. So we just did small little trees. We had a small tree in our living room, and each of the kids got to have a small little tree in their room that they picked out and decorated, Mm -hmm. and they loved that. But this year, because we don't, you know, we have different traditions every year, like we talked about on last week's podcast, they decided that they wanted to get a big Christmas tree. So it was fun. And you're giving me a face. What is the face for? Different traditions every year. Isn't that the opposite of what a tradition is? Okay. We do different, we have different experiences every year. We are never married to our traditions. And so Christmas looks different every year. Yeah. After that came out, I was like, okay, that's an oxymoron. We don't stick with the same traditions. But sometimes we bring traditions back that, you know, we'll, we'll pull them out. We'll pull them out every few years. Oh, remember when we did that? Anyway, another thing that we've been doing that has been really great is bookending our day with time together as a Mm -hmm. family. And just with life and how things had gotten in recent months, we hadn't been doing a really great job of having that family together time on a very consistent daily basis. And so that's one thing that we really wanted to do a better job of prioritizing. I think with the new year coming and then also knowing that our life is probably going to be changing a lot with a new baby, probably bringing in you know foster children and all of that. And so we want to have some good consistency and that stability for our kids and mm-hmm. our home. And so one of the things that we've started doing recently is in the mornings, us all driving to school together. And I had been staying home and that would be my time when I do my morning routine, but I just really missed getting that time with the kids. And so I've been getting up a little bit earlier, getting around a little bit earlier, and then we all drive to school together. And it's just kind of nice to just have that time in the car to just check in, chat, laugh, tease one another, catch up, talk about anything that needs to be discussed before we send them out for the day. And then you and I have been going to Panera and I've been working on writing because I'm starting writing my new book in um, 2020. And so I wanted to kind of develop that muscle of consistent prioritized writing time every day that is not blog work. So we've been doing that and that's been really great. And I feel like that is something that's just kind of saving my life because it's just making our life so much better. And then bookending the end of the day, so starting the day with that time together, and then the end of the day, we've been reading the She Reads Truth, He Reads Truth Advent Mm -hmm. um, reading for each day, and then also we're reading a book together as a family, so just reading one chapter. So you've been reading the Advent reading, and then I've been reading the chapter of the book, and it's just been so nice. We used to do a lot more reading aloud, and the kids have kind of a little bit aged out of it, but I just decided, you know what? you're just gonna, you're gonna age back in because we're gonna have little kids at our house again. And so we want to make that a priority. So we're trying to make it happen every day, even if it's not at the same time every day, because Mm -hmm. there's oftentimes evening activities. Our kids have, you know, basketball, we have church commitments and all of that, but finding a time near the end of the day, every day to spend that time together. And that's just been a really beautiful, wonderful thing. And I hope we can take that into the next year. Jesse, you have a report on a book that you finished recently. Yeah, I actually 
finished one and I'm actually probably about halfway through another one. So Wow. I had been talking about the uh, suspense throws that I have read in this past year and lo and behold, we got a book in the mail after talking about those books. An author sent us a book about thinking that I might be interested in reading it. So I was done reading those other books and thought I'd pick this one up. It's called Across the Kill by Andrew Huff. And I didn't really get into it at first. Uh, it took about two chapters to get into, but then I couldn't put it down. So uh, I finished it up in a couple of days and uh, it was a really good read. It is more of a suspense thriller. The main character is um, by the name of John Cross and he's got a, a background in, in CIA and He's uh, tasked with going after and rescuing a reporter that had been kidnapped. And I won't go all in the details of the story so you can read it, but um, he becomes a Christian and becomes a pastor and has to get out of that CIA shadow. And this book is all about the adventures about getting out from under that shadow. So so is it kind of a play on words <laughs> across to kill yes. something like not only like a spiritual but also the, like, is there the spiritual element with that mm -hmm. title? Yep. Okay. And this is a, the first of a trilogy. This is, uh, he's got another book coming out. I think it's later this year and then probably one next year. So that was Across to Kill by Andrew Hoff. Yes. And we'll put the link to that in the show notes. My book is one that I absolutely loved. It was actually from my mom. Um, I'm getting ready, like I said, to start writing a new book. I'm actually writing a book on parenting, which is a topic I never, ever, ever expected to be writing on. It's going to be for younger moms because I cannot speak to moms of teenagers because I'm still living that. But I, I have some things on my heart that I want to share for younger moms. And so I'm starting that writing that book in, in 2020. But in preparation for that, I've been reading a lot of parenting books just to kind of see what's out there on the market. And also because I feel like it will just broaden my ability to speak well to this topic that I want to speak to. And it's not about how to parent. I'll be sharing more later on, but just it's a different parenting book than most of the parenting books on the market, as I'm finding out with reading lots of parenting books. But I haven't been one to read parenting books just because a lot of times I feel like it's this, you know, do A, B, C, D, and you'll get this result. And I feel like that every child is different. Every situation is different. And there's no formulaic way to parent. Mm -hmm. And it really needs to be Holy Spirit led and really just getting to know your child. There's so much more I could say on this. But the book that I read was called Families Where Grace is in place. And it's by Jeff Van Vonderen. And so I said that I had gotten it for my mom. She actually had um, gotten three boxes full of family and parenting books from a friend, and she let me go through all of them. And so this was one of those in that box. I hadn't heard of it before. I picked it up because it looked like a great read. And I really, really felt that it was valuable. The subtitle of it is Getting Free from the burden of pressuring, controlling, and manipulating your spouse and children. So it's not just about parenting. I would wow, say, that's a good subtitle. I would say half of it is about marriage. The other half is um, about parenting. But one of the things that I took away from it, there were so many takeaways, but I think the biggest thing for me in my parenting, and Jesse, this is something that you and I talked about, and this really goes along with 
us talking about the finances and our kids, which we'll get to in a minute, but how our job as parents is to raise adults. And in doing that, how we approach the raising of the of our children, how we approach how we teach our children needs to be with that mindset of we are training them to be self-sufficient, training them to learn how to make good choices, mm-hmm. training them to learn to rely upon the Lord and seek the Lord and learn to listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And so that means that it's a good thing when we give them opportunities to make choices. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy for us as parents to want to kind of bubble wrap our kids. We want to protect them from ever get, getting hurt, from ever making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And yet, if we don't give them opportunities to make choices and learn from those, when they get to be 18 or 20 years old, they aren't going to have the tools. They aren't going to be equipped to right. be able to make wise choices. And so just in little ways, I've been changing the way that I approach my parenting as a result of this book. So for instance, one of our kids tends to have a very strong will, be very stubborn. And so if I correct them, their instinct is to just kind of right away talk back, mm-hmm. to defend themselves, to um, say, no, that that's not right. And we've been working on that. But one of the things that I've changed, instead of just correcting them or saying, don't do that, or if you do that, this will happen, is to give them choices. And it's the same outcome in a way, but it's teaching them to have to think for themselves instead of me just being like, don't do that or else. Mm -hmm. If you do that, this is going to happen. Instead saying, you can choose to do that but then this is going to happen or you can choose to do this and then this is going to happen. For instance, the other night they wanted to stay up a little bit later and watch a YouTube video, but it was past their bedtime. So I said, you can stay up and watch that two minute YouTube video and you won't be able to be on electronics tomorrow, or you can choose to go to bed. And right now, and you'll be able to be on electronics tomorrow. You get to choose. And it's basically accomplishing the same result of me saying, it's time to go to bed. You need to turn that off. Mm -hmm. But instead of me just kind of being the one that's making the choice for them, giving them the opportunity to see cause and effect, Mm -hmm. to see choices and consequences, and to make their own choice. And I know this could be a little bit controversial, but I think it's just really helped me to think through giving my children opportunities and not just telling them, this is what you're going to do. So the book outlines it a lot better than that, but that's just kind of practically how I've been taking away from what I learned in that book. So again, the name of the book is Families Where Grace is in Place by Jeff Van Vonderen. I think that having that conversation about choices is such a great segue for this conversation that we want to talk about when Mm -hmm. it comes to teaching our kids about money, because that really is a big part of that. But we want to give you four strategies that have worked well for us 
and really helping our kids learn how to handle money, to think about money, and to learn to start making good choices Mm -hmm. with their money. Because I know so many adults who struggle with making good choices with their money. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they never had the opportunity to learn these things as a child. And for you and I, Jesse, I feel like we were so blessed to be raised in homes where this was taught to Mm -hmm. us and this was modeled for us. So speaking of which, strategy number one is to set a great example. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to actually, before I go into setting a great example, it's kind of, this really does piggyback on what you just talked about with training your children to be adults. We don't treat them as adults. We help them to make decisions that would lead them to become better adults later on. It's not like we're treating our, saying our kids are little adults. They're not, mm. they're children. But we put them in and give them opportunities to grow that muscle that will be available to be used then as an adult. So when people are not making good money choices, it's a lot of times probably because they don't have somebody there telling them, this is what you need to do. Mm. They don't know how to make that choice. What is the better of the options in how I handle my money? So setting a good example for children, one way is by giving them good tools to use. Well, I think that oftentimes we assume that what we teach our kids is the most important, but I think a lot of times what we model Mm -hmm. for our kids is what they actually take away. You know how they say more is caught than taught? And yes, Mm -hmm. it's important to talk about it. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I think that modeling it for our kids, so for our kids, they've seen us so many times, we'll say, you know, we're saving up for this thing. They saw us save up to pay cash for vehicles, for our house, and for small purchases, Mm -hmm. you know, small everyday purchases. So often us saying that's not in the budget, you know, we're saving up for that. We don't have money for that right now. When we go on vacation, there's always a budget. Mm -hmm. When How we live our life, there's always a budget. And they see us living that out. They go to the grocery store with me. They see me sticking with the grocery budget. And Mm -hmm. so it's teaching them by example that this is a priority. And those discussions are not necessarily to them or even with them. It's to each other. It's you and I talking about those things, and they just happen to be in the room listening in because our children are always listening. Yes. And I think sometimes when you talk about setting an example, people can get hung up on the fact that, oh, I need to set a perfect example. Mm -mm. But sometimes the most important example is when you make mistakes Mm -hmm. and you admit those mistakes to them. And you have a conversation about it and you say, here's what I learned from this and here's what we're going to do differently as a result of that mistake. They will remember that probably for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And so don't feel like you have to do it perfectly, but if they see you doing it intentionally, that is going to impact them very powerfully. And also communicating the why. Why was it a wrong decision or what was it that made it a bad choice? Because they'll understand the underlying theory behind what's going on and and what caused the result. 
that way that theory can then be applied later on in another situation. The second strategy really goes along with this, and we've kind of touched on it already some, but start teaching from a young age. And people will ask us all the time, well, when do you start teaching your kids about money? And for us, it's really kind of from the time that they are old enough to walk and talk they are old enough to start understanding the concept of money. Mm -hmm. When they can count, they can understand the basic concepts of money. And by the time they can count change, which is typically, you know, by the time they're four or five years old, they can do the basic math of being able to count, you know, pennies and understand dollars. And so we start talking about saving and giving Mm -hmm. and debt and budgeting don't wait until your kids are 16 years old to start having these conversations because you've missed so much opportunity if you wait until you feel like, oh, well, we probably shouldn't start talking about that till they're older. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think of some examples we've had with our kids and talking about debt. I mean, debt is not a difficult uh, concept to talk about, especially with with little kids, because sometimes our kids have been out and they've wanted something. Well, mm-hmm. we say, do you have the money with you? And sometimes they'll ask one of their other siblings if, if they have something. And it's like, that's an opportunity to talk about what's debt, owing somebody back for what you have used that was theirs. And sometimes you tack on a little extra as a penalty for or the opportunity to use that other person's money. It's kind of a thank you gift in a way. Well, and one thing that we have, done from an early age is really not paying for extra things for them. Now that, not that we don't ever buy them extras, but if we're at the store and they all of a sudden decide that they really want something and it wasn't something that they planned to get, it wasn't something that we talked about getting, there wasn't any like intentionality behind this. It's just we're at the store and they see that candy bar or that packet of baseball cards and they're like, I want that. They've learned that if they were to look at us and say, can I have that? We'll look at them and our response is always going to be, did you bring your money? Did you bring your money? And so at this point, they basically never even ask us for things like that because they know that if they bring their money, then we're going to probably be okay with them buying it. But we're not going to just be like, oh, you want that? Okay, sure. That's not, not mm-hmm. that that never happens, that we don't just, you know, bless our kids or do something fun or do something spontaneous. But I don't want them to just always feel like we're this vending machine, like we're the ATM. And if you ask for it, you're going to get it because that is teaching them things that when they become 18 and 20 and 25 years old, they're going to have a lot of struggles if they feel like they can just always go to mom and dad or they're entitled to things or they can just ask someone and someone's just going to give them money. Number three, the third strategy is to involve your kids as much as possible. And I know this is another area where sometimes parents feel a little bit scared Mm -hmm. because like, I'm not saying that you need to open up all your budgeting to your kids and tell them all the details. Or if you're struggling financially, that you need to tell them all of those details. But I do think to have conversations as a family about your finances can be really, really beneficial. And 
you know, I think of so many times, for instance, like when we traveled to Iceland this past summer, and one of the things is that we did it on a really tight budget. And the kids (laughs) knew ahead of time that this was a special trip we were going to take, but we were going to make sacrifices in order to make it happen. And so one of those was we brought mostly all of our own food. We packed an entire big suitcase full of things like beef jerky and trail mix and um, dried fruit and dried meat. And I guess beef jerky is dried meat, but there was (laughs) dried chicken and turkey and stuff too. Granola bars, lots of different things like that. And so, you know, sure. Would we have loved to go out every meal? Yeah, that would have been great. But food is extremely expensive there unless you go to the discount grocery store, which even then was probably two or three times what we would pay in the States. And we knew that it would cost us probably close to at least $1,000 extra, if not more, if we were to eat out most of the meals, Mm -hmm. even at just a, not even a nice restaurant, just a basic restaurant. And that was not something that we had in our vacation budget for that trip. And so I think all of us talking ahead of time about this is how we're going to make this work. And it's, we're going to be creative. And, you know, sometimes when we go on trips, we eat out. But on this trip, we're probably only going to eat out a few times. We mm-hmm. did the hot dog stand and I think we did Subway. Did we do one other? I, I can't remember. Anyway. I don't remember. And, you know, yes, so we made sacrifices, but we were able to have that experience, but do it on a budget and do it as a family. And it's a fun memory now. And it also, I feel like coming back, they appreciate food more because Mm -hmm. we were tired of eating packaged food. (laughs) But we had a lot of good conversations on that trip about the fact that how many people would give anything to be on this trip and to be eating packaged food, you know, Mm -hmm. that... So many people around the world don't have any food, don't know where their next meal is going to come from, would be thrilled to find some rice to eat. And how could we complain about this? But it was just, you know, that was just one example of us working together as a family, talking about the budget, and then getting creative and all making some sacrifices in order to have this experience. And finally, the fourth strategy And we've discussed this a little bit, but I want to dive into this deeper. And that is let your kids make mistakes. Yeah. You want them to make mistakes in the little things. That way they don't make mistakes in the big things later. And we talked about how we, you know, when we're at the store asking our kids, do you have your money? And one of the things that we have done since the time they were little was to allow them to spend their money pretty freely on things that they choose to buy. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like the making choices thing that we talked about earlier. You know, if they were going to go below $50 on something, we would have a conversation. But when it's the $3 and $5 and $7 purchases that they decide to make, we just really just let them do it. And we actually, since the time they were probably four or five, they go up to the cash register. They pay for the item themselves. We will stand there close by but they do the whole transaction themselves. This mm-hmm. is teaching them to handle money, to interact with a cashier, but also it's teaching them about things like tax and teaching them to have to do math in their head and make sure, do I have enough to be able to pay for this item plus tax? Mm-hmm. And there have been times when they have gotten up there and they've had to put something back or they've not been able to buy something because 
they hadn't calculated in all the money and we, we don't bail them out. And that might seem like we're really terrible parents, but I know that when they're 25 years old and they're going to make that purchase and if they haven't done the math correctly, mm-hmm. they're going to have a, there's going to be a problem. And so this teaches them to learn to budget, to mm-hmm. learn to think through purchases. And then a lot of times they've spent their money and they've come home and been like, man, I wish I wouldn't have bought that thing. Or they've spent their money on some plastic thing that ends up breaking less than 24 hours after buying it. And it's like, should you have bought it? It opens up the door for a lot of conversations, letting them handle their money. And this was something that my parents did that I'm so grateful. I think from the time that I was about 12 years old, I paid for most all of my things. I mean, obviously they provided a roof over my head and food and that sort of thing. But like my clothes, any extra expenses, gifts, anything, I paid for it myself. And I look back and I see how the frugal nature that I have now and how much we've been able to save and be intentional with our finances is a direct result of me having $12 and needing to buy new clothes and knowing, well, I could go to Target and I could maybe buy one shirt or I could go to the thrift store on dollar days and I could buy 12 items. And it challenges you to be really creative. And so giving our kids the opportunities to pay for things themselves, to have their own money to spend, and to then decide how they're going to spend that money teaches them those things. It allows them to make those mistakes, like the $3 mistakes and the $30 mistakes sometimes, because we want to hopefully prevent them from making the $330,000 mistakes. And for people listening who are saying, well, you know, what about how, how do your kids even have money? Well, some of it comes from birthdays, grandparents, that sort of thing. But then also we do give our kids opportunities to earn money. So we have at our house paid chores and non-paid chores. And it's really, you know, there are things that you do being a part of our home. This is required of you. This is real life. When you become an adult, You're going to need to figure out how to get your laundry done and keep your house clean and wash your dishes and and all the basic things like that. But then you can also choose to go get a job or start a business from home and earn extra money. And so we try to kind of model that real life experience through our home and giving them paid chores and non-paid chores. And so the non-paid chores that's required of you. No ifs, ands, or buts, you do the non-paid chores. But let's say you want to earn some extra money. Well, once your non-paid chores are done, there's opportunities for you to do paid chores. And these are extra things. Typically, it would be something that you or I would be planning to do ourselves. So if they do it for us and they do a great job, it's taking the it's taking it off our plate. Right. And so, you know, it might be something like vacuuming out the car or some type of cooking project or organizing project or something like that, that would be an extra thing that was hanging over our heads that they're able to do and take off our plate. And then we're happy to pay them for the freed up time for us. And then this gives them the ability to have money that they can then choose how to spend. And I love this because it's on their plate. Like they have to elect to come and say, hey, is there a paid chore that I can do? And then they have to do it and they have to do a good job of it in order to get paid. So it's teaching them that skill of learning to work for someone else and that 
money doesn't grow on trees and that you have to work for it, but you also have to do work that you don't get paid for. Mm -hmm. And so it's that real life, you know, obviously when you get older, you can't always just like go to someone and be like, what kind of paid chore can I do for you? But it's the basic example of you have to take some action and put forth some effort in order to get that return on investment. So hopefully these strategies just give you some ideas to think about as you're raising your kids. And we'd love to hear from you. You know, if you disagree with us, because I know we said some things that are kind of controversial, feel free to talk back to us. Send an email to crystal at moneysavingmom.com if you have further questions or thoughts or just any feedback on the podcast. We love hearing from you and we'd love to hear what works in your home. How have you trained your kids? How have you taught your kids about money? What has worked well for you? And maybe it'll be something that will be like, that's a really great idea. And we need to implement that as well. As always, if you have any question on any topic you'd love for Jesse and I to answer in a future episode, or you just have feedback or suggestions, or you'd love for us to change something or do something different, we love to hear from you. We love your emails. And so you can send an email to crystal at moneysavingmom.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of The Crystal Pain Show. Have a great week. And remember, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your attitude. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.